In recent weeks, building up to Easter, we looked at Palm Sunday and the triumphal entry. We looked at the crucifixion of Jesus and Resurrection Sunday, or Easter, we call it, and the empty tomb and the victory of that. And so it comes down to, well, what's next? Where, where do we go uh, from there? And this morning's passage answers that. Uh, we saw and uh, are referred to the appearances after the tomb was empty. Uh, Jesus appeared to Mary, Mary Magdalene. He appeared to the 10 disciples in the upper room. Later with Thomas back, he appears to the 11, to two men on the road to Emmaus. And then recently we looked at the great encounter in Galilee, on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, where they had started the ministry, where they were called off the boats. Many of them, Jesus ministered to them there and restored Peter and encouraged them. And it's in that context that Matthew gives the Great Commission of what the disciples are to do. And he uh, ends his gospel there. It's Luke who takes us back down to Jerusalem, and we don't know how much time passes there. But this morning we find ourselves back down in the south at the big city of Jerusalem, the center, the, the spiritual center of the planet. And uh, Luke is going to take us through a couple of things I want us to share together this morning before we come to the Lord's table. If you're here this morning and you're a guest, uh, this is the Lord's table. We don't claim it for ourselves. It's the Lord's table. And if your faith is in Christ, we want to invite you and encourage you to share in that part of the service in just a little bit. Acts chapter 1 Luke, who wrote Acts and writes uh, the Gospel of Luke, bridges here, uh, linking the two with comparable introductions to those two books of the Bible. He comes into verse 3, and he says, To these he also presented himself alive after his sufferings by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days. And speaking of things concerning the kingdom of God. Convincing proofs. Thomas, we call him Doubting Thomas. Don't pick on Thomas. He was, he was an awesome character. But touch Thomas. Be convinced. He ate with them in the upper room. He cooked breakfast for them at Galilee and ate with them and talked with them. And they were profoundly aware that it was not just that he had gone on and was alive spiritually somehow, but physically he was back. In the same body, it was the same Jesus and a very physical being. In verse 4, he says, In gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, <clears throat> but to wait for what the Father had promised, which he had said, You have heard from me. If you went back to John 13 through 17, the upper room discourse, Jesus is teaching there. And he shares with them, I think, his greatest teaching and woven one of the ongoing themes that runs through all of those chapters is the role of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus says, it's good that I'm going away because if I do, I'll ask the Father and he'll send another like me and he'll be in you and with you. It's not a force. It's not a power. It's the person of the third person of the Trinity. And he says, you've heard about that. Verse 5, he says, for John baptized with water... But you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. He's anticipating Pentecost, which comes to us out of the Old Testament, but it comes, uh, becomes especially significant for Christians, for that's that profound day when the Holy Spirit in a fresh way falls on the church. 
It says, so when they had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time you're restoring the kingdom to Israel? Is this it? They're looking for a kingdom, uh, like a lot of people today, and, and questions, what's the linkage between the kingdom and Israel? And you can get into all kind of theological discussions about those issues, uh, the timing of it, and all the, the end times events. And Jesus says, it's just not for you to know all the details. It's not going to be a part of what you know. But they're asking, is this it, Lord? Are you going to take charge now? What's it going to be like? And he's really has prepared them and now will remind them that they've been prepared not for some great restoration of the kingdom that's visible at that moment, but they are the kingdom. They'll take the kingdom to the world. They'll be ambassadors for Christ. They'll fulfill the great commission. And verse 7, he said to them, it is not for you to know the times and the epochs which the Father has fixed by his own initiative, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. When I was 24 years old, and just really beginning to get back into the Bible and, and really get excited about the Bible. I wouldn't go to seminary for another three years. But into all that, I was at times almost obsessed with things concerning the second coming of Christ. I loved the theology of that and trying to figure it out and when it was going to happen and how it was going to happen and turning over every rock of theology and Scripture to try to figure out all of that. Uh, that was at 24 by 34 or 44, that was not my priority. I became just wowed by the thought of the gospel going to the uttermost part of the earth. Never went as a foreign missionary, but I determined I was going to be a missions-minded pastor and pray for and support and be a part of what is being told to the disciples at this very moment in our scripture. I hope this morning that you anticipate the second coming of Christ. It will be glorious, and, and uh, I don't know if I'll be alive. I doubt I'll be around here. I'll, I'll, I'll be in the beyond. But when he returns to planet Earth, it will be physical, literal. It will be awesome. But I hope as we talk about that and link it to Jesus' ascension, uh, that this morning you'll get a fresh dose of energy for the Great Commission and taking the gospel to the nations. Jesus said, it's going to start right here in Jerusalem. They are in Jerusalem as he speaks that. They've gone across the valley on the east side of the old city, uh, up the Mount of Olives, past the Garden of Gethsemane at the base there and up to the top of the mountain. Uh, I've been to Israel four times. One time I was taken to the site of the ascension, the supposed site of the ascension. I don't think it's, it's authentic any more than that it's definitely on the Mount of Olives, but the, there is a site and a little chapel there, and they've got a little tray uh, of stone there, and in the rock bed there at the top of the mountain, there's a footprint. It looks kind of like a footprint, or somebody tried to make it look like a footprint, and the tradition is that's where Jesus' foot was as he starts to ascend. Now, they want you to make an offering, so they put some dollars and some British pounds and uh, local currency and they're kind of in the box to, to prime the pump so that you'll leave some of your money there and who knows where that would go uh, if you left it there 
But we do know the Mount of Olives is the place of ascension. So Jesus is there in Jerusalem. He says, it's going to start right here. And you're Dublin, you're Jerusalem. It's going to start here and spread to your Georgia, Judea. But it's going to go beyond that. That's your comfort zone. You're Jewish disciples, but you're going to break out of your comfort zone just like we did in the last three years. And you're going to go to places like Samaria where the people are different. Uh, and they eat differently, and they talk differently, and they think differently. But you're going to go, and you're going to love them and take the good news to them, and not only to Samaria, but to the remotest part of the earth, which was, in those days, Spain. After Spain, you fell off the map. Uh, you went to the edge of the map and fell over. And that's as far as they knew if you headed east. No comprehension of Korea and Zambia and Brazil or even Georgia. We were not even in their thoughts that the existence of us or down the road, us being in those places, uh, not thought of then. But there's the marching orders. There's no limit to it. It's to the remotest part of the earth. The last jungle in the Congo or Papua New Guinea. The last highest ridge of Nepal or wherever it is to the remotest places. You'll be witnesses Oh, don't get, there, there is a kingdom, but don't get preoccupied with when Jesus is going to do something profound here that wraps it all up. You be preoccupied with taking the gospel to the nations all the way as far as you can take it till Jesus comes. Now, he continues in verse 9. It says, after he had said these things, he was lifted up while they were looking on and a cloud received him out of their sight. What would you give for a ticket to that? Wouldn't that be astounding to see the physical body of Jesus just fade from your vision and out of there until he's no longer with you? And as they were gazing intently into the sky while he was departing, behold, two men in white clothing stood beside them. The two men, in quotes, in white clothing are some kind of angelic beings. Uh, usually in our art, uh, angels are kind of, they're either little girls or they're kind of sissy looking or, you know, kind of feminine. Or uh, Angels in the Bible are spiritual warriors. They're, they're mighty forces. And uh, these two are there. These men in uh, white raiment stand there responding to the question or the, the obvious question, the implied questions that are there in the hearts of the apostles that day. What, what about the kingdom? Oh, and he said, no, march. Don't, it's not about what's going to happen here right this minute. It's what you're going to do for generations to the uttermost parts of the earth. And what about that? We just saw him. Just, and all these things that uh, you would think they're thinking, the questions you would have, they have in their heads. And they come in and say, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? Looking into the sky is not going to fulfill your purpose, what Jesus just told you about. Uh, there's something more to be done. He calls them men of Galilee. Judas Iscariot, based on a couple of theories about the origin of the name Iscariot, uh, probably was a Judean rather than a Galilean. But Judas is gone. He's taken his life uh, and, and his grief after his betrayal of Jesus, and he's out of the picture. The other 11 remaining disciples are Galileans. It'd be like 
calling you Georgians, maybe with some exceptions here this morning. Uh, but by and large, Georgians, it's, it's their area. It's, it makes it very personal. And it also draws them back to where they started. Come on, Georgians. Why are you looking at the sky? You Dubliners, why are you just looking into the sky? Why are you reading your 1,000th prophecy book trying to figure out when Jesus is going to come? Why are you looking toward that? When uh, and, and there's an appropriate watching for the second coming of Christ. Don't get me wrong. But why are you doing that to the neglect of the marching orders Jesus just gave you to take it to the world? This Jesus, they said, who has been taken up from you into heaven will come in just the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. Uh, the tradition I was raised in, it was it, a lot of good things about it. Um, a lot of my Christian heritage comes from that, but there were a lot of missing pieces and parts to it uh, that I had to get into the evangelical world and the Baptist world to learn and, and grow through and had to get my own Bible and read through to get to. But the, the matter of the ascension of Christ was uh, rarely talked about. The second coming was never talked about. And people would say things like, oh, I, I believe in the second coming. I believe Jesus comes again when he comes into your heart. Well, that sounds sweet, but that's not what the second coming is about. The second coming is about the literal return of Jesus. The, the angelic being says, uh, just as he has ascended physically from your presence in the same way, he's going to come back right here and back into this world, and it will be profound. Uh, that tradition I was raised in did uh, have the Apostles' Creed almost every Sunday morning. And some of you were raised around that. And if you were Presbyterian, it would have sounded a little different, but it would be pretty close. The Apostles' Creed may be the oldest doctrinal statement of the Christian faith outside the Bible. It's one of the early ones. And in the tradition I was raised in, this is, and it's, it comes into English several ways, depending on the translator. But I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. Now, Presbyterian's friends would add he descended into hell, and there's debate about what he might have proclaimed there and all, but this version, the earlier version of the Apostles' Creed doesn't include that. It just says, the third day he rose from the dead, he ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence, or from there, he shall come to judge the quick and the dead, the living and the dead. Everybody, judgment day will come uh, and he will come from glory on high. Having been raised on the third day, he ascended into heaven. That comes from Acts chapter 1, where we are this morning. Literally, physically ascended into heaven. And the Apostles' Creed says, and he sitteth at the right hand of God the Father. That's his position. That's his position today. It's a I don't know what that looks like and how that works out, but it's the theological, biblical description of Jesus. Now, 
time passed from that day of the ascension and Pentecost did come and the Holy Spirit did fall on the church and it was glorious and the other disciples were preaching in the languages of the Mediterranean, the languages of the Roman world. It was a miracle of language, uh, but people from different backgrounds are hearing uh, the gospel proclaimed to them. They've just come out of the upper room where I think they've been waiting for this day. And Peter becomes the primary preacher. And chapter 2 of Acts is about Peter's message. So let me give you just a few verses out of that. Peter says, This Jesus God raised up again, to which we are all witnesses, we all being the disciples that are there. Therefore, having been exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured forth this which you both see and hear. Having ascended to heaven, that's the ascension of Christ, uh, to heaven, uh, and Peter says, to the right hand of God, meaning God the Father. We use terms in our culture like court is in session. That's where session comes from, that, that mindset. Uh, the judge has uh, come out into the courtroom and he sits on his seat and court is in session. And Peter is describing, uh, rooted in what Luke would describe in Acts, but Peter, having walked with Jesus and, and having seen him ascend, says he is now in session. He is seated in heaven, which means he's in a position to be in control of Everything, everything. It's an awesome thought. Uh, got an email this morning from Zambia that was sent sometime in the middle of the night for us. It occurred to me that the Lord was awake for them during their morning hours while we were sleeping. And our Koreans uh, in, with us this morning are about 13 hours off from what we are. One way or the way, depends on how you fly around the globe, but uh, the Lord Jesus was awake for them throughout their day while we slept. And now they're in their evening hours as we're getting into our day. And he's awake for all of us all the time with 100% awareness of everything. Isn't it an incredible thought to know that our God, expressed through Jesus Christ, knows every jot and tittle of the details of your life and mine. Every joy that you have, every distraction that you have, everything that's breaking your heart, every need that you have, financial need, career need, physical health need, spiritual need, he knows all of that. And Peter says he's in session. He's there. He is not asleep. He's not indifferent. He's not off somewhere doing something to the neglect of his created order. He spoke it into existence. He redeemed it. And he's seated at the right hand of God the Father in session for you and me. That's powerful stuff. That's awesome theology. You and I ought never get away from that. You turn on cable news now and you see the rockets flying and I think some good decisions have been made and I, I trust that, that the Lord will work through whatever circumstances and this, the, the ongoing clash of good and evil that's out there. But you could watch cable news and work yourself into a pretty good depression at almost any given time. 
you say, I'm tired of watching rockets, and you flip over to the business news, and it's, oh, I think I'll flip on over, and you finally find yourself on a sports channel somewhere, and your team loses. But, uh, boy, there's a lot of stuff out there where things are out of control, or so they seem to be. And the message of Peter and his sermon at Pentecost and the message of Luke in the book of Acts, the message of the gospel is, it's not out of control. It is under the sovereign control of a gracious God and a risen redeemer. He's ascended to, the, to his heavenly throne and is seated at the right hand of the Father. And he is in charge and he is in control and he is good and he is gracious. We have a long list of people on our church prayer list, and there's a, there's a good number of them that are dealing with serious medical issues right now. And we can draw on this theology, and it's not just fluff or superficial stuff. Or, it's very real that our Jesus, having died for our sins and having risen and ascended on high, is aware and he cares, and he cares more than we do. And he knows better than we know what is best for us. So what do we do with that? I want to ask you to take home with you two things. Uh, put these in your, your thought pocket and take these two thoughts home with you from the ascension and the session of Jesus. Take home comfort that there's no reality weighing heavy on your heart that he doesn't care about and that he's not in a way that you'll never understand fully that he's, he's not, that he's involved. Moses says the mysteries of God belong to him and the things revealed belong to us. And we will all go to our graves with mysteries in our head of why God did this or that and didn't do this or didn't do that. But from the theology of the ascension of Jesus, we draw comfort that our God reigns. Secondly, I want you to take home with you motivation. This uh, presentation by Luke, this, Luke is incredible. What a great writer. And he takes what could take libraries and it puts it in a few pages. And he says, I want you to understand that Jesus in his closing hours of ministry took the great commission, world evangelization and the ascension and put them there together. And out of all this theology comes our motivation to get on with fulfilling the task. If Jesus comes today, maybe you figured that out and it's today. I don't think you have. But uh, if he came today, if this was the day of his glorious return, if this was it, would he find you actively engaged in fulfilling his great commission and seeing that this message does go to the remotest part of the earth? So, Wow. A, a double gift to us from the, the words of Luke. Comfort and motivation because our Jesus is alive. Our Jesus reigns and our Jesus is coming again. You're on the, if you're in Christ, you're on the winning team. And our cause will prevail and it will be absolutely glorious when that occurs. So if you're depressed this morning or overwhelmed by circumstances, hang in there. Our God reigns. And Jesus is in session. I want to ask you to bow your heads. Father, we're grateful this morning that our Savior is indeed in session. 
that he has ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. And from there he will indeed come to judge the quick and the dead. Father, we want to rejoice in that. But Lord, as we're comforted by that, may we also be motivated by that. We want to honor you and glorify you in our thinking, in our speech, in our attitudes about people, in our actions toward other people, in our obedience to Scripture, in our zeal for the Great Commission. May it be that you're glorified by the comfort and motivation we find from your word. Lord, we turn now to your table. And we ask that uh, as we do, that you would be in this very moment bringing to our mind sins that need to be confessed, attitudes that need to be adjusted, commitments that need to be made so that we'll be closer. When we leave the sanctuary in just a few minutes, we'll be closer to your will and your purpose for our lives. We come asking it, not because we deserve it, but we ask for your mercy and your grace to abound and that you'd bless our lives. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.